Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have, you, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse. You are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. This is the very word of God. Thank you, Father, for your word. I was back there tapping my watch, but it is a beautiful thing when God speaks. And Ben has no idea what my sermon is about this morning. Um, he saw probably the text, but um, most people would come to this text and think that it's going to be about money, right? Um, but I will assure you that this sermon has really little to nothing to do about money this morning. Um, but on that note, I want to point you to a URL that's in your bulletin. So right there where it says sermon and that I'm preaching today, there's a URL there that would direct you to Desiring God's website to a sermon called You Will Be a Land of Delight from 1987. And I will tell you that it is an excellent sermon on why the tithe is not mentioned as a New Testament requirement. And I want you guys to go there this week and either read or listen to that sermon because it will hit the point of tithing that is uh, here in this chapter. But that's not what this morning is about. This morning is about the fact that we have a Savior that loves us so. All the things that we sang this morning, the very words that Ben pre-preached, um, that's what this sermon is about. Um, I want to uh, see us work through this text and see how good it is that Jesus is a refiner and that demonstrates his love for us. So this morning, we're going to see three things as we work through this text. We're going to see that Jesus is the refiner, 
that we need to be refined and that there is hope in, some t- in sometimes what feels like a very long road of refinement in our lives. So Jesus is the refiner. We need to be refined. And there is hope in what sometimes feels like a really long road of refinement. Um, before we dive into these three points, I want to explain how this text became our passage for this morning. So we just finished up the Song of Songs. We had that short series of our Song of Songs, which is kind of right in the middle of our longer series on Ezekiel. We'll pick that back up next week. But in order for the text to fall just right for Easter, we needed a standalone sermon on this Sunday. And I will tell you straight up, this is not my preference. I don't like it when I'm not just given a text to preach. The reason for that is like several things. Um, One, I don't always have great confidence in where to turn in the word to bring that. Um, It can sound like I am on a soapbox preaching some topic that, that I want to get at, which probably why I said this message isn't about tithing in the beginning. And then Lastly, um, sometimes when we get up here and we talk as pastors, sometimes people feel like it's directed specifically at them as an individual. And I never want that to be the case. And I can tell you with all my heart that that is not the case this morning. Um, This passage from Malachi actually came from our team study that our guys were doing a few weeks ago when I first started preparing for the sermon. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. We read Malachi chapter 3 in our, our daily worship, and I'm like, I think this is where God wants me to go. Um, now, I will say that it, it was certainly confirmed that I wanted to come to this passage by conversations that I've had with multiple individuals over the last few months, because this long road of confinement can be really hard, and it can feel like there are stages in our lives where we are at that are just hard to overcome hard to see Jesus for who he is and the good that is in the gospel. And so I want to uh, use myself as an example of what that might look like. Um, So when Crystal and I got married almost 20 years ago, um, we thought we would serve in collegiate ministry, which we were doing at the time, for a couple of years, and then... Get, get a little bit of preparation, get some student loan paid down, and go be international student ministries, uh, international uh, missionaries. And uh, that wasn't quite the plan that God had for us. It looked something more like this. Um, we felt hurt in our ministry, and we left it. We went through a situation at our prior church where there was this grievous sin that took place, um, And that caused uh, fracturing in the church, and people left. And then there was cover-up, and pastors broke confidence, and they left, and that caused more division in the church. And uh, all the while, uh, we are new parents, and uh, I go through multiple jobs. I go back to school. it was, it was not the path that at all that we thought that we wanted to do or that God had called us to. And 
that is not much different than what it looks like when we come to the book of Malachi. Because Israel thought it was going to look one way, and their path had been very, very different. Israel constantly walked away from God. God would call them back. Eventually, he exiles them to Babylon, which is what we're studying Ezekiel. Um, they get back to the promised land, and then within the hundred years when Malachi is written after they return to Babylon, and the people are right back in the same state. They've, they've walked away from God. It wasn't the picture that Israel thought it was going to be. And so Israel, uh, Malachi is a really interesting book because God comes to the, with this one last prophet and he says, I still love you. I'm not done with you. I still have a purpose in your life. And it turns into this series of disputes between God and Israel. Interesting book in that it's one of the few books that it predominantly speaks in the first person from God himself. And so I want us to this morning run through these six disputes that happen very quickly in Malachi, and then we're going to circle back to uh, our text that we read this morning. So the first three um, disputes, God exposes Israel's corruption, and then the second three disputes, God confronts their corruption. So he kind of exposes it, and then he directly confronts it. So in the first dispute, God claims to still love Israel. That's how the book starts. It opens with, uh, I love you. And Israel's question then is, how have you loved us? And so this really just kind of exposes Israel's suspicion, their doubt of God's love for them, and their doubt of his faithfulness. And God responds by reminding them of the covenant with Jacob. And the fact that he has remained in this covenant despite Israel's unfaithfulness. The second dispute comes when God says, you're defiling the temple. And Israel responds, how are we doing that? And he says that, he actually, he doesn't even focus on the sin of exactly how they're defiling the temple by bringing the, the lame and the sick animals for for the offering, he really just kind of turns to their heart and shows them that they are not honoring God in the way that they're worshiping. The third dispute, God says that they have turned against him and their wives. And Israel says, how so? And God reminds them of how that when they returned from Babylon and everybody rejoiced and said, we're going to follow God's law, that it wasn't but a generation, and they started re-intermarrying with the other peoples around them, bringing idol worship into their homes, turning to idolatry. And then through the next chapter, he ties that idolatry that's happening in the home to himself, and then he turns it right back and says, you don't even honor those wives. You divorce them for no cause. You are breaking covenant with your wife and with me. 
Then dispute number four begins in chapter 2, verse 17, the last verse right before we read this morning. And Israel then accuses God of neglecting them and asks them, where is the God of justice? To which today our text answers, God promises to send a messenger to prepare the way for his return. That will be the answer to that question. And then dispute five calls Israel to turn back to him. Israel asks, how? Like you say we've turned away, how do we turn back? And God confronts their selfishness by showing them how they have stopped offering the tithe. Okay, to clarify, tithe, that's one-tenth of what their, uh, their income and produce was. And that was to go specifically to the temple and the work of the priests in the temple. You can skip all the other offerings. That, that's exactly what he says. The minimum. You've taken the minimum and you've not even done that. But when he says that, he responds to the actions by saying, I still want to bless you. Dispute six, well, bless them if they stay in covenant. Let's say it that way. Dispute number six, the people say it is pointless to serve God because we see wicked people all around us prospering. Israel's brought three accusations against God. And this one, they say, it's pointless to serve you because there are wicked people that are just testing you and they are prospering. But rather than a speech and a direct answer like he's done in the first five responses, God gives them a story of a remnant. A group of people that love him and fear him. They come together and talk about how they can honor him And then he says, actually, he doesn't say, he orders for a scroll to be written to mark down the names of those that were faithful to him. So this remnant, so he he takes that first, uh, the first charge that we're going to look at in chapter four, and he kind of expands it a little bit more. And he, he says that these are my remnant and they are going to enjoy endless peace with me. They're going to rise up with healing in their wings. They're gonna be like a calf that has escaped from its corral, leaping about. That's the way the story ends. This rejoicing of freedom and healing in God's remnant that are faithful to him. That's your Bible project synopsis of Malachi. All right. So, to our text today, Disputes 4 and 5. So, if you'll turn there to chapter 3. It opens with a prophecy of John the Baptist and Jesus. Okay? I can say that. Well, let me just read it to you. Behold, I send my messenger. I will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I can say that this is... John and Jesus, because this passage is quoted three times in the New Testament, saying that John the Baptist was this prepared messenger. That happens in Matthew chapter 11, Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 7, all identifying John as the messenger. So if John's the messenger, 
then it's true, and we just probably quickly make that conclusion that Jesus is the Lord of hosts that comes. He's the me that the way is being prepared for in this passage. Now, it's really important that we can make this conclusion, really, really important, because um, we got to see clearly that it's Jesus that this is talking about because of the way he's described in the following verses. So I want to give you one more piece of evidence. So if you look back in verse 1, and it says, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Who owns the temple? Jesus does. Jesus does. God does. He said, that's my temple, and I'm going to rebuild it in three days, right? So, um, so what we need to see is that there are three people spoken of in this verse. It starts off, I, Jehovah is speaking. The Father is speaking. And he says, I'm going to send a messenger, person number two, for the Lord of hosts that's going to come, Jesus. This is the Trinity being expressed right here in Malachi. It was prayed about and sung about this morning. This is the God that the Lord of hosts that is going to come. So, important that we identify that because the identity of the one being sent is the answer to a question. We probably lost track of all of that as we went through the text, but I said in 2.17 that Israel asked a question. It was an accusation against God. They said, where is the God of justice? And do you know what God's reply was? I'm sending a messenger, and the Lord of hosts is coming. That's God's response to where is the God of justice? Jesus. also important that we see the way that Jesus is then described in the passage. He is a refining fire. Now, that's probably not high on the list of names that you know for Jesus, right? Like we know him as Messiah and Savior and Healer, King, all of those things, all of those yes but when was the last time you referred to Jesus as your refiner? Not likely, right? But listen to what God says about this refining. Actually, let's step back for a second. We're going to get really deep in that in just a second. But why do we even need a refiner? Why do we need a refiner? Why does, why does the, the, the God of representing justice, this God of peace and justice, why does he need to be a refiner? And it's because we need to be refined. He was, he was making this point to Israel. You, you are like ore. You have the image of God, but you are corrupted by sin. And you need to be refined more into the image of God. So, so he sends a refiner to, to refine us of, of these impurities. When we question God's love, when we are not honoring to God, when we enter into idolatry, when we are selfish, just like Israel, 
That's when we need a refiner. We need that if we're ever going to be able to be described as this passage when it says, they are the ones to bring offerings in righteousness. Now, we need to pause for a moment to think about what a refiner's fire is like. So if you look back at verse two, it doesn't say that he's like a wildfire. It doesn't say that he's like an incinerator's fire. It says he's a refiner's fire. He doesn't destroy indiscriminately like a wildfire. He doesn't consume completely like an incinerator's fire. He is like a refiner's fire. Verse six says it this way. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. You are not destroyed. He goes at length to describe the fire of Jesus. It's because of the changeless character displayed in the covenant that Jesus, the refiner, uses the furnace to refine his people, never for destruction, but so that he can have a remnant of people with him forever. However, as a warning, I will say that there is a fire of judgment and condemnation. In chapter four, verse one, he says this, behold, the day comes like an oven when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Some will be refined and some are consumed by the fire of God. That should bring a weight to our souls on where do we stand in the fire begs the question who is refined who is consumed the answer is not get rid of all of your sin the answer to Israel wasn't do the tithe don't intermarry. Walk away from adultery. That's, that can't be the answer. Because if you can do that stuff, then there's no need for refining. The answer is that we have to trust in the Lord that refines. The one who would come and establish the new covenant. Salvation by grace through faith. That's the difference between a consuming fire and a refining fire. The answer is that we have to trust in the Lord that refines even when refining 
burns. When it hurts. The way to experience the fire of Jesus as refining and not consuming is to trust his promise to bring us through the fire to his endless joy. So that your name is recorded in the scroll as his faithful. Malachi begins with the statement, I have shown love to you. And when questioned how, God uses the covenant of Jacob as a demonstration. And then in our text, he extends that proof into the coming of Jesus, the one who would establish the new covenant. I want to give a couple of, we're almost out of time. I want to uh, give a couple of points of application and then we'll close. To Israel, the God of justice had delayed his coming so long that he was unreal to them. Many of us come to the point in our walk where we begin asking, if all those horrible things, all the stuff that Ben mentioned earlier, the illness, the death, all types of sin, sexual sin, adultery, oppression, war, false gods, blatantly challenging God and stealing his honor, if all that is still going on, and Jesus hasn't come back yet, how can a God of justice really be out there? We're asking the same exact question that Israel did. And if that is you, I want to plead with you to look at the work that Jesus has already done. He is the consummation of the covenant of Jacob. He has come and at the cross ultimately demonstrated God's love in his death in place of ours. And I want to ask that you let no other circumstance shadow that new covenant. Do not let your circumstances be consuming, but rather let them be refining and turn to Jesus. Okay. For those of you who are standing strong in your initial faith, you may have a different question. This walk doesn't look like the way you thought it was going to look. You had grand plans in serving God, doing X, Y, or Z. In my case, I thought I'd be on the other side of the world, speaking in another language, another heart language, expressing this very story of God's love. But it didn't look like that, because that wasn't my long road of refinement. My refining fire has been walking through 
sexual sin breaking the church. Betrayal of pastors. Parenthood. Career changes. Being a part of a church plant here. Eventually being a pastor. What was I thinking, thinking I could go be a missionary, not knowing, like, how do you go someplace that there's not a gospel and there's not a church and not end up being, I'm digressing. Anyways. Um, All of these things that were so heartbreaking at different points in my life have refined me into the man I am in Jesus today. And without them, I would not have this deeper understanding of my need for Jesus, this deeper understanding of what the church is and what community can look like. This has been my refinement. Some of you have been through or are walking in things that look nothing like what you thought the road with Jesus would be. But they're your refinement. Church, I hope that you can hear the word of the Lord from Malachi this morning and that you can see your need of a refining Jesus in your life. Not only to be content with where you are right now, but so that you can rejoice that your current circumstances are refining you for the kingdom of God now and to come. Let me pray for us. God, your word says in 1 Peter, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor of Jesus Christ. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now that we can see the circumstances of our life as your refining fire. You have given us glimmers of the hope that is in Jesus. And sometimes our circumstances outweigh what we can see. And it just feels like we are burning up. But God, I thank you that your promise is a new covenant. That you have shown your love perfectly and sending coming yourself demonstrating your grace and redemption in our Lord Jesus. God, give us the strength to turn our eyes to the work of the King and that we see it as good enough. That will drive us into faithfulness, that we will be a people that can enjoy all of the creation has been proclaimed earlier, that we can be a people turned out of our stalls, that we can rise up with healing in our wings, that we recognize that our names are written on a scroll because God has declared us his.
because that's our only hope. It's in Jesus' name I pray.